Okay, so the last couple of nights, we've really been getting into, I think, um, the heart of finances, the heart of God concerning finances, our hearts concerning finances. Um, How many of you work because you like it? So you enjoy your job. You wouldn't want to do anything else. So so you work because you like it or you work because you have to? See, this is the this is the trick question, right? Right? Do you, do you work because you really like it, or do you work because you got bills to pay at the end of the month, and that, that's why you work? Okay. So, did you know that all of you, every single one of you, um, you work a whole month without pay, on the promise that your job that your boss will pay you. So you, you work the whole month, okay, on a promise. And then when it comes to trusting God's word, it's so difficult. It's important that we understand that if we can take these people, like the person who employs you, if we can take him seriously when he says, I'll pay you X, then we need to take God seriously when he said, I've given you everything. We're going to hit this from different angles, Okay, because I want to hammer this home for us. Because if we don't begin to realize that we have everything, we will always live in a place of not enough. And it's the mentality of not enough that stops you from being generous. It's that, it's that mentality. This mentality of not enough is so entrenched, it's carnal. It's, in, it's entrenched in carnality. And it's entrenched in this whole idea of needing more. Even the people in the world understand that if you carry yourself as a person that, all, that always projects the idea that you have more than enough, you will attract more than enough to yourself. Where do you think they got that from? They got it from the Bible. They got it from us. You see, when when the Bible says, let the poor say that I am rich. Why are you rich? Are you rich because of the amount of money you have in your wallet? Or are you rich because of the amount of money that flows through you? True prosperity should be measured by how much money you give away, not by how much money you hoard. People like George Mueller, which we'll discover later on today, gave away the equivalent of $180 million in his lifetime. And you know what? He didn't work a single day to earn that money. He just asked God. He didn't even ask another person. He just asked God. He went to God with what he needed and he asked God and God supplied. You know, like, he might just be trustworthy and stuff. He might also just be God and stuff. So, we're going to find out about how these things have worked for other people so that you can apply these things in your life. We're going to start off with a subject that I want you to understand. Number one, I'm not against. Okay? Number two, I am against. So there's a part of it that I'm not against, and that is that there is a principle of doing this thing. Okay? 
But I am against the idea that absence of doing this thing will result in God's wrath coming upon you. In the New Testament, if that is true, then you should be experiencing the wrath of God right now for your sin. Because all forms of disobedience are disobedience. Whether it's disobedience to what God has told you to do, or disobedience to what God has told you not to do. It's equally as important. So if we are, quote, unquote, judged by God in this period of time, okay, then we are truly dependent on whether we do right or whether we do wrong. The good news is that we have been given the righteousness of Christ by faith. So I want you to realize everything in the Old Testament was to give us a shadow and a type of the fulfillment that we find in Jesus. Think about this. The Sabbath. Now some people argue that the Sabbath should still be kept by Christians from Friday afternoon until Saturday. Now, if you're going to do the Sabbath, you better do it then because that's the Sabbath. Don't come and do the Sabbath on the Sunday if you're going to be religious about it. But the Sabbath, when was it instituted? When did the Sabbath start? It was before Moses. When God created the earth, He rested on the seventh day of all His works. Isn't that right? So the Sabbath was around before God instituted the law about the Sabbath. So the Sabbath existed as an idea before God said, okay, now you will keep my Sabbath. And we're going to find out now that this principle of 10% or the tithe was around before the law. But it was also instituted in the law. Just like the Sabbath. But how many of you know that in the New Testament, you can... Honor one day, you can honor every day. As long as you are convinced that what you're honoring, you're honoring God in it, God's good. Do you know why? Because the Sabbath is Jesus. You enter into His rest. That's the Sabbath. And I can prove it to you from Hebrews 3 and 4. It says very clearly. If you read chapter 3 and 4, you'll see talks there about Jesus being the Sabbath. So, He was The rest. Jesus is the rest. Why? Because you're resting from your works and you begin to do His works. You're resting from attaining righteousness because it's been given to you. So now you can be righteous. And this rest is what's given to us. Now, just because something was instituted in the beginning, implemented in the law, and now fulfilled in the new covenant, can you see how it's changed? In the Old Testament, under the law, if you didn't keep the Sabbath, you'd be killed. So now when you get, when when Adam and Eve were given the Sabbath, there was no punishment for them not keeping it. When Jesus is asked about the Sabbath, what does he say? The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then when Jesus becomes the fulfillment of that Sabbath, it's the rest that God has promised us. We enter into that rest. Now I'm using the Sabbath as a parallel, okay? Because... It's clear you can see the jump throughout Scripture. Okay? So when we, as we go into this thing, I want you to see that there was a principle that God saw was a good thing. 
And then he implemented it in the law because it was a good thing. But in the New Testament, there is a fulfillment of this thing. So there's a shadow of the true. The shadow of rest was Canaan. Remember the promised land, the children of Israel, shadow of rest. But they could not enter it. Why? Because of unbelief. A whole generation had to die out. But when you get to Jesus, well, you cannot get rest in Jesus if you don't believe in him. So they could not enter because of unbelief. Unbelief will keep you out of Christ. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. You can't be an unbelieving believer. That's an oxymoron. And so when you understand that this principle, you'll see that there's a fulfillment in what we're talking about. And the fulfillment is this. Um, how much of the detail of who you are is in your shadow? No, not everything. Can you see your face in your shadow? Okay, so you see very little detail. How much detail is in your shadow? About 10% of you. Your shadow is a mere shadow. It's not the detail. So the 10% was a shadow of the detail. The detail was meant to be extravagant, supernatural giving. You were never meant to stay at 10% and you were never meant to give nothing. You were meant to be a river through which God can flood the earth with his abundant provision. You were meant to be clouds that don't just promise rain but actually produce rain. I'm really wanting to show you that as a principle it stands but there's a fulfillment to it and we need to move away from just the principle. Children are governed by principle. Okay, when you're, when you're younger, you're, you know, your parents teach you when you get to the road, look left, look right, look left again. And in the beginning, you need someone to make sure that you do that, like a schoolmaster, someone that checks that you do that. But when you grow up, you know, look left, look right, look left again. No one needs to tell you. No one needs to watch you. You know to do it because you've grown up. And the Bible says the law was a schoolmaster until the promise could come. The promised faith should come. This promised faith, the word there for faith, okay, in the context that it's used in, it's not like your faith or someone else's faith. It's what you believe in. It's like the faith. Have you heard people talk about um, there are many faiths on the planet? It's talking about different religions, isn't it? So they all have a belief system that they put their trust in, and that's called a faith, just like every other faith. So when the Bible talks about the faith of Abraham, it's not talking about Abraham's faith working on your behalf. It's talking about you believing the same thing he did. When it talks about the faith of Jesus, it's not talking about Jesus' faith working for you. It's talking about you believing what Jesus believed, that God's your father and that you are his son. You understand? It's a faith of, in other words, what they believed. So when it says the coming faith, it's talking about what we could put our trust in in order to have righteousness, in order to know that we are right with God. That was the coming faith. And the coming faith, that whole aspect there, was what Jesus brought us so that we could put our trust in it, knowing that if we put our trust in him, we will have everything that he promised. So let's just go to the first time where there was the mention of a tithe. And we're going to go to Genesis 14, verse 14. Now just so you know, while you're turning there, that the word tithe is used 13 times in the Bible. And it's used 21 times, sorry, it's used 
13 times in the Bible and only twice in the New Testament. The word tithes, as a plural, is used 21 times in the Bible and only 5 times in the New Testament. So can you see the weight? The weight of this word is mostly in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. Can you see that? The word tithing is only used one time in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And tithing was practiced before the law by the one we considered righteous because of faith. So the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. We receive the inheritance by Abraham, right? Because the promise was made to Abraham. You're all following that so far. All right, so 14.14. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, and he, his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Habar, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsmen, lots with his possessions, and the women and the people. So yeah, what happens? Lot is, well, Sodom is actually ransacked. And Lot's there. Lot is part of the people who are captured. Abraham hears about it, and he goes and he rescues Lot. And he takes his people, and he goes and he chases these guys who have come and plundered Sodom. And in the process, he gets all these riches and treasures from them. Right? He takes it back from them. Isn't that right? After this, his return from the defeat of Shildalimia and the king who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Sahev. This is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Now watch this. Who did Abraham give a tenth to? Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek just came out, blessed Abraham. So what did Melchizedek do? Melchizedek was a high priest of God Most High. He came and he served Abraham and he blessed him. So if you look at this, you'll see Melchizedek is the priest blessing Abraham. Isn't that right? And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Of what everything? Where was his cattle? Where was his livestock? Where was his grain? Did he, did he give him a tenth of everything? Or did he give him a tenth of what he had looted? If he was going to give him a proper tenth according to the law, he would have to go back home, put a rod out, have all the cattle come past, each, every tenth cattle, put one side, go into the grain fields. He'd have to do a whole series of things, then come back to Melchizedek, and then give him a tenth according to the law. Okay, but Moses was born after Abraham. We're all sure of that, right? So there was no law. So this is Abraham... Now, can you guys find here instruction from God going, Abraham, you shall pay Melchizedek 10%. It's not even in the Amplified, people. You, you see, it's, it's not there. It doesn't say Abraham must pay Melchizedek. Now, in Abraham's day, when you were blessed by somebody, when you respected someone, when you received someone, you honored them, and it was honorary it was regarded an honorary return, 10%. To honor 
the fact that someone has blessed you. So, you can see how that principle gets carried over, right? We're going to get to that. But you'll see how the principle gets carried over to where eventually it becomes a law and a standard where people are forced to honor God, to remember Him, so that their wealth doesn't make them forget Him. So they keep having to remember Him. But you only need that when you're carnal. I'm not saying don't do the tithe. I'm trying to show you the progression. Now what Abraham walked in was righteous shall live by faith. The Bible says it was accredited to him righteousness because he believed God. And the gospel was preached beforehand to him. And the law was only introduced 430 years after Abraham. So Abraham never had the benefit of the law. This is Abraham acting out of his own heart. This is Abraham encountering Melchizedek, being blessed by Melchizedek and going, I want to honor you. He's saying, I want to honor you. I want to show you that I appreciate your blessing. Thank you. And that was what he did by taking 10% and giving it to Melchizedek. Now, there's a full stop and then there's an, another sentence, right? In verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the person, but take the goods for yourself. In other words, give me all the people that you've rescued. This is the king of who? Sodom. It's not Melchizedek anymore, right? Give me the people, take all the loot. Isn't that right? Okay. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap, or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. So Sodom is saying, the king of Sodom is saying, keep all our loot. In other words, because remember, when he plundered these guys, they had obviously plundered many other places as well. So he took more loot than was just Sodom's, just to give this a little bit of context for you. So now, the king of Sodom is saying, keep the loot, we just want the people, Right? And Abraham is saying, no, 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 no. You take your loot. You know why? Because God will bless me. It will not be said that you made me rich. God made me rich. Now you tell me, is that the easy road or the hard road? Do you see that? Abraham is saying, no. It will be known that God has blessed me. That's why it's so important that we go to God for our needs. Do you understand? That we have a, that we have a direct connection to God as our Father to supply our needs. Okay, so yeah, you can see Abraham had this kind of relationship with God and he, he wouldn't jeopardize it even when someone wanted to give him the loot. So sometimes saying no to money is also a good idea. Because yeah, did he say no? He said no, didn't he? He said no, you take what's yours and your people and go. God will make me rich. It will not be said that you made me rich. <clears throat> I think there's an important lesson to be learned in all that. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and share of the men who went with me. Let Enner, Eskul, and Mamre take their share. Okay, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And we're not talking about that right now. So for now, you can see how Abraham had given Melchizedek a tribute. Why? Because he honored him. Now this Melchizedek, we know is mentioned in the New Testament. Isn't that right? So let's go to Hebrews 7, and we're going to read there about this Melchizedek. Okay, Hebrews 7, and we're going to read from verse 1. For this Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Priest of the Most High God. Okay? Met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Now who's that? He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. So just in case you thought I was wrong, that he didn't give a tenth of his spoils, he did. He didn't give a tenth of his cattle. And Abraham was very rich. By the way, Abraham was already rich. He had 318 people living with him. It's, a, you know, it's an army. You've got to feed them. <laughs> right? He was already rich. He was already wealthy by the time he did this. He didn't do this to get wealthy. I mean, there's just so many flaws in the idea that, you know, that principle was there to bail Abraham out somehow. It was Abraham's relationship with God that got him blessed. It wasn't because he proved that he could earn God's blessing. See how great this man is, right? And, these, and those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, through, though these are also descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So, when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, who was superior? Melchizedek. Now, did Melchizedek give Abraham money? Well, isn't that amazing? Melchizedek gave him something greater than money. He blessed him. What, what Melchizedek gave him, was it a blessing? Okay, so he gave him a blessing. And that blessing was greater than any honor Abraham could have shown him. Verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that the Levites themselves who received tithes paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. They're trying to give some eternal perspective on the single act that Abraham made. Verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? So if the Levites were good enough, if that system was right, and that system was good, then why would there be a need for another priest? What further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a, char- a change in the priesthood, there is ne- it is necessary a change in the law as well. So oh, wait a minute. I mean, the law changes? Okay, this is getting really interesting. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. So Jesus was never a Levitical priest. So he wasn't a Levi. And in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, 
who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is a witness of him. So Jesus became this priest by being raised from the dead. Isn't that right? By being ascended into heaven. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because it is because of its weakness and uselessness. For the Lord made the law for the law made who, what law are we talking about here? The law of Moses, right? For the law of Moses did what? Made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now hold on. We just started off talking about tithes. And we started ended up talking about a better covenant. Where is this guy going? I'm just reading scripture. So we start off with this honorary thing that was done to Melchizedek, but we end off with a better covenant and we transition through the law. Can you see the writer is taking us right through that process? Okay? So what we're going to do now is we're going to jump back and go back to see how the law, how the law actually introduced this and why the law introduced this. What was the heart behind the law? So you can, you're starting to see this pattern? Okay. I want to just quickly help you with something. Go with me to Malachi 3. So now, let me ask you something. Malachi, is it the book right before the New Testament starts in your Bible? Okay, now, just so you know, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament isn't a blank page in between two books. There's a, there's a lot more difference here than, than that, alright? Malachi is a prophet, one of the last ones that we have in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Right? And what was the cry out against Israel from the prophets? If you read all the prophets, what do they keep crying out against Israel about? About their sin. Isn't that right? How many of you know why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? It was because they neglected the orphan, the elderly, and the widow. Are you with me? They treated them with contempt, and they, would, they actually abused them. They were horrible to those people. And then above all that, they were full of sodomy as well. But the reason why God took action against them was because of their cruelty towards the alien, the widow, the orphan, and the elderly. So now, Malachi is writing to Israel and he's saying that you all have, you priests, and he's writing to the priests specifically, okay? He's saying, you are not doing your job correctly. You're not distributing what mean, what's, what's supposed to be distributed. You're not doing it right. Okay? And God is upset because you're not dealing with His things properly. And you've got to understand that He is talking to people who are still under the law. Now, under the law, if you disobeyed your parents or dishonored your parents, what would be the outcome? Death. Right? If you... Um, murdered someone, it would be death. If you lied, it would be death. According to the law, the law is the ministry of death. So, or ministry of condemnation, which leads to death, because when you condemn, you die. Okay? Just, 
just to be technical. So under the law, it was do or die, right? Do right or die. That's basically how it was. Okay, in the new dispensation that we're in, it's we get to grow up into righteousness, empowered by God's Spirit to live holy lives. It's not the same as in the old, where you do or die. Here it's you get to do until you get it right. Yay. You get to do the right thing until you get it right. Because we're learning how to do everything right. We're walking with our Father. Okay? It's not where you don't do right. God didn't give you His power to be worse off than what you were before He came. That's just silly. It's like, if I bought you a Ferrari and you, and you kept driving your bicycle to work. I didn't buy you a Ferrari so, could, just, so you could drive your bicycle to work. Or if you drove your Ferrari at the speed of a bicycle, that would be even worse. Isn't that right? See, you're laughing because you think this is really weird. But it's true. It's exactly what most people are trying to justify. Oh, I'm under grace, so I can just drive slow. That's nonsense. You've been given the ability to live holy, so live holy. Be holy. Because you have been made holy even as your Father is holy. So be holy. Because you're already whole. Now remember, wholeness, okay? What, is it, what does it mean to be holy? Set apart, totally otherly, and independent of any need. In other words, you are complete and whole and there is nothing that you need to be you. You are whole. There, you don't have to add anything to you. You don't have to take anything away from you for you to be holy in God. So if you live in a place where, where in your mind you believe you are complete and whole, then you will live as if you are in abundance, not in lack. Any, any mindset of lack is directly connected to fear and anxiety, which is anchored in a lack of trust in God's love for you. You want the remedy? Get to know Him. You trust people you know. If you get to know your father, you'll trust him. him. It's easy. So in Malachi 3, we're going to read from verse 8. It says here, this is such a famous scripture. Everyone loves using this one. How many of you have heard this one before? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Let me do that. Hold on. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Who's he talking to? The nation. Are you Israel? So he's talking to you. Do you even have their system in place? Do you have their, I mean, do you have any of their system? (laughs) You have nothing, right? You don't even have a storehouse to take it to. Church is not a storehouse. You, You have to stretch to say a church is a storehouse. And I'm going to read some things about how they did the tithe. And you're going to have a lot of fun because you're going to realize that the way they did the tithe wasn't exactly how we do the tithe. The tithe was party time, people. It was celebration time. Everyone looked forward to the tithe in the Old Testament. It was a time of coming together, having a jewel and thanking God for it. And whatever was left, the priests get to use for the orphans and the widows and the alien. That's what they did. And it was only on one cycle that they didn't have that party. But they would have it very regularly, like for three years in a row. And then one year they wouldn't have it. So if, if, you, do, if you had to do the tithe the way that they did it in the law, you could all bring booze to church. I'm not kidding, man. It says, it says, if, it says take your tithe, 
Okay, and your, 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 everything that you have that you're going to bring, if it's too much to take it to the place where you need to go, like if you had like a thousand cows, don't bring them to church because, I mean, where are we going to put them? Right? So it says, sell them, turn it into money and come here. And then when you're here, buy whatever you want, even strong drink. It says so. I can, I'll read it to you just now. It's, it's not the same. Do you understand? It's, it's like we're trying to um, regurgitate a system that we don't even have. Now, the principle we have, are you with me? The principle we have, what's that? To honor God with our finances. Minimum 10%. It's a principle. I understand. I'm not against that principle. But for us to start trying to keep the law tithe, we're not even doing it right. Uh, look, <laughs> I promise you. Look, okay, take Jacob. Do you remember Jacob? Was Jacob blessed? Okay. Now, let me ask you, do you remember when Jacob fleed or flew? Yeah, he ran away. Let's say fled. Fled. That's the word I'm looking for. He fled from his brother after he maneuvered a style to steal his birthright. Right? He did. <laughs> then he, I mean, he stole his brother's birthright. That's being a thief. Right? So he, he does that and then he ducks off to his uncle's house. On his way there, he sleeps at a place that he names Bethel. Why? Because when he's sleeping, he's seeing angels ascending and descending. If I had stolen my brother's birthright and I saw angels descending and ascending, I think God killed me and I was in heaven or something. <laughs> right? But he says, <laughs> I've done something bad. So then he sees angels ascending and descending on this staircase. And then what he does is, he wakes up and he makes this awesome conclusion. I'm going to make a vow to God. If you will look after me, and you can go check it out. He has this whole list of how God must bless the work of his hands, how God must um, look after him and provide for him and everything, like a whole list of things. And then he has one thing he's going to do for God. I'll give you a tenth. <laughs> like that's completely fair, right? You do all this and I'll, I'll give you 10%. <laughs> God, you make sure everything goes well for me, and I'll give you 10%. Good deal, right? This is not a deal. And God didn't wake him up and say, Jacob, I need 10%, or else I can't bless you. Jacob made it up. Jacob decided to make that list. God didn't show up in a vision and go, Jacob, I will do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, if you pay me a tenth. If you want to be protected by me, son. You're going to have to pay your dues. That's not how it worked. Jacob asked God. And God said, okay, if that's how you want to do it, cool. Do you understand? It, it, it wasn't this um, law that was passed down to him by his father. Because otherwise he wouldn't have needed to make it. He would have just said, as my father has done, I will do. Or something like that. He wouldn't have made this whole new list. These are, these are important questions. Because... What, we, what has happened is, have you ever run a church before? Anybody here? Anybody run a church? Have you ever been involved in a church before? Okay. So if you've been involved in a church before, you run a church, you'll know that it costs money to keep the lights on. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, and we will get to this, that it is right that we should support ministry. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with that. Okay? But what I am saying is that, our reliance shouldn't be on law and manipulation. It should be on God. 
We should ask Him. And He provides our needs. And if you're here, the number of people here doesn't determine how well this happens. For example, the one time I did a DHT, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a testimony now, right? So here comes a good testimony. I did a DHT, and at the time, uh, Kevin Peterson and myself, we were doing DHTs together. And by the way, he's a stellar dude. He's awesome. And um, it was just so cool doing training together because, you know, we have different aspects of how we communicate, and it was great. And this one DHT I ended up doing on my own, okay? It was one of the first ones that I did on my own. So it was kind of a little bit like, you know, there's kind of a part of it that's missing. Have you ever had that where you get used to one way of doing things? And then, so I, I thought, okay, cool. And it was kind of in the, like in the back end of nowhere. Like, it was like, have you, you know, have you guys got like slumps here? Like, like ghetto type places? So it was a church in the middle of a ghetto type place. It wasn't like easy to find. It was difficult. If you, you'd end up, if you went up the wrong road, you'd end up in a dead end with staircases going up. It was, it was really weird. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was exactly the angels coming up and down. So, so for me, um, it wasn't like a very convenient place. It wasn't a place on a, on a freeway where everyone drives past and it's easy to get to. You know what I'm saying, okay? But anyway, it wasn't about that. There was an opportunity to do training there. There were people who were interested to do it, and so I was going to do it. Now, it ended up that there was probably about six people, six or seven people that showed up, okay? Now... That varied depending on, you know, where we were in the time period. Like, like even here, some people have come on Thursdays, some people come on Friday, you know, that whole thing. But the true, dedicated, awesome believers are here every time. Because they want to get the whole message, which is great, okay? No disrespect for people who haven't been here. I'm just saying it's better to get the whole message. Fortunately, we have technology, so you can always download it, but it's, it is different when you're here. Um, so... You've you got to realize, I'm doing this training, and in the back of my mind, I'm already saying, I'm not even going to take up offering. Because it's pointless. There's only six people. I'm not even going to take up an offering. Why, why even bother? It's like, it's pointless. Do you, are you with me? So at that time, um, the offering that would come in, I'm just going to say, was, say, a, a figure. right? Let's just say it was 100 bucks, the total offering. And then we would, Kevin and I would split the offering amongst us 50-50. So I get 50 bucks, he'd get 50 bucks. All right? So now there's six people, all right? And I'm thinking, don't even bother. It's no point. I'll just do this pro bono. It's, it's awesome. Right? Because I, I, I really don't care about the money. Are you with me? It's, it's not about the money for me. It's about getting the message to people. So I preach my heart out and, you know, we go for it. And I even like... I even hit this whole thing like um, <laughs> about you know, people manipulating you for finances and stuff. I just hit it because I wasn't going to take up an offering. So it was an excellent opportunity to do it. <laughs> so I just, I just hit it. And then um, at the end of the whole training, the one lady comes up to me and she gives me an envelope. I didn't take up an offering. She gives me an envelope and it's the equivalent of what 50 bucks would be. From one person. What I would normally get from a full training, I got from one person. And God said to me, you see, it's not about how many people there are. 
It's not about how many people there, there are. It's not about how many people there are. It's about who you know. It's not about what you know. Do you know Him? If you know Him, you'll never go hungry again. That's why Jesus preached the good news to the poor. Because it's good news to a poor man that he'll never go hungry again. Isn't it? Is, I mean, hello, if you're poor, would you, do, what, do you want to hear about metaphysical reality? Or do you, wanna, do you want food in your tummy? Like, you know, you know. Like, what is real here? Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. Now, some people say, well, they were poor in spirit. Well, everyone was poor in spirit. But he went to the poor. Even in the New Testament, it says that the poor are rich. Why? Because they are the ones who believe quicker. Why? Because they don't have as many worldly things to give up. They don't think that they have got so many riches to give up, so it's easy for them to come into the kingdom. So here it says, why have you robbed me? You are cursed with the cursed. This would be legitimate in the Old Testament. Why? Because whenever you broke the law, there was a curse. Look at Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So it would be consistent for Malachi to say, You are cursed with the curse because you have not given tithes and offerings. Why? Because it was in the law and they were living under the law. Do you see that? But look what it says in the rest here. It says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. So, the Old Testament law was a what? It's a law. You must do it. The New Testament is a relationship. You get to do it. Do you see the difference? In the Old Testament, it was do or die. In the New Testament, it is not do or die. It is empowered by God to be supernatural in everything. How many of you believe we live in a natural world? You're wrong. Nothing that is here was brought into existence in any natural way. God spoke it into existence. You live in a supernatural world. You are supernatural. There's nothing natural about you. What is so natural about a bag of dirt turning into a man? Is that a natural process? Anyone? God breathes into dirt and up comes man. That's not natural. It's supernatural. Now, supernatural worlds have got within them natural processes, but they are not brought into existence by natural means because the whole world was spoken into existence. Hebrews 11.3 For by faith we believe that the world was created by the command of God. And the world that we do see is made out of things that we cannot see. And we know now, today, we can we know more about the things we don't see now than we did before. And now it just proves the scriptures are true more than ever before. But the scripture was true way before they knew. So if they had just believed the Bible, they would have been a step ahead of themselves. Isn't that right? And if, you, if I'm being too vague, I'm talking about quantum physics. This is a reality. It's so real that they can even transport data on it now. They can, they can exchange information via quantum entangled particles. It's a real deal. It's not some metaphysical, crazy idea. They're building computers, quantum computers, right now, that can do it. Where you'll be able to instantaneously transfer information from one point of the world to the other. Imagine having internet so fast, it's instant. They're working on it. They've got it. The technology's there. Do you believe me? Okay, look. How many of you have heard of quantum entanglement before? No one? Okay, when... 
photons are tiny particles, right? When photons interact with one another in a very special way, they can become entangled. That means that whatever happens to the one particle automatically happens to the other. So the rate of spin, the density of the particle, and a bunch of different properties of the particle, immediately the other particle will take whatever you do to the one. So if you change this one, this one will change. If you change that one, this one will change. And so what they did is they separated two photons by kilometers away from one another to test to see whether how, you know, how quickly this will happen over distance. Well, they've, they've done this test as far as they can, and if they make a change on one particle, instantaneously the other particle duplicates that change. Okay? Now, th this is just a basic principle for what Jesus said when he said, you will be in me and I will be in you and we'll be one. It's quantum entanglement. We are entangled with Christ by faith. You, you identify with him and you become entangled by faith with him. So if it's true for him, it becomes true for you. Does it make sense? So now this technology is not myth. It's not pseudoscience. It's fact. Okay. There now, IBM has been using it to create um, technology for microchips. So you, you know, if, if you have quantum... Um, how many of you know what a motherboard is? Okay. So a motherboard, for those of you who don't know, is a flat board on which... There are these little like, lines that go to all the different components, okay? And you have your central processing unit, which processes the information, and you have all your ports, and they, port, they basically do all um, your output or input communication, depending on how it works. If this is too high grade for you, I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to give you a, a factual representation of what I'm talking about, okay? So what is limiting the speed on your computer isn't always the processor. Often... It's the speed at which information can travel between the processor and the RAM, the random access memory, or the graphics card, or vice versa. So they've tried to create all kinds of bridges and different ways of creating more what they call front-side bus. The bigger front-side bus you have, the faster information can travel from one point to the other. It's like increasing the lanes on the freeway. So you have more lanes in the freeway, the more cars can travel. All right? Does this make sense so far? Okay, so now, because of that, you can only go as far as opening as many lanes as possible, right? But now imagine if you were sitting in your house and you wanted to be in France, and you did this and you were in France. Would you need a road? Would you need transportation? No, you could go wherever you wanted to go. Now, what, quantum, what the quantum world is offering science and technology right now is the ability to allow data, information, to travel at the speed of this. So you could be sitting in your lounge, and your, the processor that's in your car could power your television instantaneously. Now, that means that we're, in the future, it's going to look a lot different, because Wi-Fi is going to be a thing of the past. You won't need a wireless signal. If you have... A, if you have if you have a set of photons that are entangled with another set of photons, no matter where you are, it'll be like this. It could be put into your device and pick up the data. How many of you know how fiber optics works? Light. Okay? It goes through and it goes on and off. How many of you know that data is transferred in a series of ones and zeros? Basically. On and off, on and off, on and off, 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 on, off, 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 on, 
on, on, off, on and off, on and off, 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 on, like that. That's how it transmits information. Then they take that and they multiply it in certain ways in order to get, you know, hexadecimal and other byte sizes. But the reality is it's all really just ones and zeros. So it's off and on. So when you have two particles that are entangled, when you turn this one on, that one goes on. Are you with me? If you then change this one's property to off, then that one's off. So now immediately you have an instant transfer of data from one point to the other, and the distance doesn't matter. It can be the other side of the galaxy. It will still work. Okay? That is phenomenal. All right. So let's close up in prayer. Father, I just thank you for every single person here. I thank you that they are a blessing, that they are blessed, and that nothing the enemy has done can prevent them from walking in the blessing that you have already provided for them. So I bless them in Jesus' name, that they may have plenty to give, plenty, plenty to give, that they will give in a plentiful way, so that the measure to which it is given back will be abundantly pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.